Happy Monday, everyone. It is Monday, October 4th. It is 2.42 p.m. here in San Diego, California. And thank you for tuning into In The Fight. For this episode, we're getting a little creative. But a few weeks back, about a day before UFC 266, I was able to interview maybe the greatest mind in the history of combat sports. And I know that probably sounds like hyperbole or bullshit or whatever, but no. Javier Mendez, the head coach at American Kickboxing Academy. He's the coach to Habib Nurmagomedov, Daniel Cormier, Cain Velasquez, Luke Rockhold, Islam Makhachev. The list goes on and on. He has the greatest fighters to ever exist be in his camp. And he is an unbelievable person to talk to. I went live with him on Instagram with DraftKings, Sarah Machado as well. And I just edited real quick, just, I don't know, 10 minutes of some of what I thought was some of the better stuff. But I hope you guys give this a chance. This is really, really hot. Like, some of the stories he was telling, we're talking about Habib's first day in the gym. We're talking about Cain Velasquez and the rumors of, oh, I've got this this heavyweight coming to the gym today. He's got great cardio. And, you know, Hobbs saying, oh, yeah, sure, we'll see how it goes. And hearing about their first days in the gym, you guys... This is an unbelievable, unbelievable interview. So, without further ado, we may get into it. Javier Mendez, maybe the greatest mind in the history of combat sports, on In the Fight. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do it. This is In the Fight. Hey, Coach, thank you for the time today. We really, really appreciate it. Um, I know that this is like one of a thousand interviews, you know, for you, but for us, this is a pretty cool opportunity. We really appreciate the time. Um, I did see a question from the comments. I just wanted to grab Sarah real quick. Someone asked, would you ever consider opening up another gym location for AKA? Uh, at the present time, there's a licensing uh, a deal with AKA. Uh, Mike Swick's the president of licensing. So for those individuals that want an AKA, an AKA license, they need to contact Mike Swick, AKA Thailand, and request you want to look into what's the procedures opening up an AKA licensing uh, program. Coach, you have like what one of the most legendary rosters of fighters to ever walk the earth from your gym and so i was just curious like you know sometimes you'll hear a rumor oh i knew the moment that he walked into into the gym that he was going to be a superstar oh you know or when he got to the gym it it took him a little while to really turn pro how quickly does it generally take you to know if a fighter has it um uh, you want me to give you three scenarios where they're all they're all different, but they, but I, I do know. Okay, I give you uh, I give you the very first one. Uh, Cain Velasquez uh, when he first came to me. I'll give you four. I'll give you four. I talk a lot, so I'll give you four. <laughs> first one, first one, Cain Velasquez. I I get a call from the management saying, uh, you know, we got this great uh, fighter. You're gonna love him. He's a heavyweight. He's got cardio for days, etc., etc., etc." I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm kind of getting excited. And then they tell me he was a Latin Mexican fighter. And I went from heavyweight Mexican fighter from excitement to, uh, okay, whatever. I'm just thinking, what this Mexican fighter is going to come in that looks in shape to me? I go, I don't think so. If he's a heavyweight, he's probably out of shape, you know, a little heavier than he should be. 
So that's what I was thinking. So uh, when Cain Velasquez came into my doors at the AKA Academy on Hillsdale Avenue, I was up in the ring watching the guy spar, and he goes to the door, and they go, hey, Hob, here's your fighter. And I looked at him. I said, I took a double take, right? I went like, what the hell? This guy looks very fit, very in shape, like not muscly, but in shape. I looked at him. I said, hey, uh, I, huh, I thought you'd be a little heavier. I was being sarcastic, but he didn't realize when I said I thought you'd be a little heavier, <laughs> like fat-wise. He goes, oh, yeah, when I wrestle, I wrestle 265. So I'm going, oh, okay. So that's the first thing that I noticed. He was very athletic. The second thing, when I knew he was going to be a champion, is when I had one of my champion kickboxers, they were doing some light sparring, and he kicked Kane in the head. And as soon as Kane got kicked in the head, he picked him up and he gently put him down. Like, Gently put him down. I said, wow, that was a pretty quick reaction. And next thing you know, he gets kicked in the head again. This time around, he picked him up and slammed him. And I said, whoa, this is special. This is special. Right then and there, I said, this guy's going to be a world champion. Just from that alone, uh, I knew that. So that's one scenario, right? You got another scenario, Luke Rockhold. Uh, Luke Rockhold was in Santa Cruz, California, right up from us about 45 minutes or less. So he comes down with one of the uh, jujitsu guys to try out, you know, some, some sparring and whatnot. And he comes in, and uh, he wants to spar. And I look at him. I said, well, do you have headgear? Do you have this? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, do you have a mouthpiece? He goes, mouthpiece? I go, man, you need to have a mouthpiece. I can't just spot that mouthpiece. So I tell him, go to, go to Target. You can get a mouthpiece over there. And I didn't think I'd see him back, to be honest with you. I didn't think Luke would come back. And he comes back with the mouthpiece. I went, oh. Okay, so he put on the mouthpiece and he sparred uh, uh, one of my UFC guys, right? And this is a kid that had no experience. And he sparred with him, and I'm like going, whoa, okay, okay, let's see what happens. So he did so well, I said, he's going to be a world champion just from that first sparring session. But Cain Velasquez never really sparred. He just lightly went with people, and I knew he was going to win. With Luke Rockhold, he sparred a high-level guy, and he did exceptionally well, and I knew he was going to be a world champion. Now, so you got the two scenarios, right? Now you got the third one, Daniel Cormier. Okay, when Daniel come, Cormier comes over, they're telling me, oh, you know, we, we got the, the two-time Olympian. You know, he's a pudgy guy, but he's the best guy out of all the guys at the Olympic Training Center that could do MMA. I said, great. And the first time I met Daniel, I go, this guy's a fighter? <laughs> like, you know, he's like roly-poly a little bit like me, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking, no, this guy can't be a fighter. And, and so what happened is, so he comes in the gym, and, and, and he does this, like, like sparring, whatever. And I looked at him. I said, man, I go, I told the coaches, I said, uh, the people, the management, I said, look, I don't know if this guy could be a, a, a world champion or not, but I'll tell you what, I want him here. I don't care. He's a hell of a coach. This guy can coach. So I said, no way. I want this guy here. I don't, so I, whether he can fight, I could care less. So what ended up happening is I – put him in uh, doing this thing and, and next you know two weeks later I'm working with the guy and I'm showing him some stuff and then he's, he goes in the ring the next day and he spars with what I showed him he looked like he's been doing it for a long time I went holy crap I said no this guy so this guy was a late reaction type guy it wasn't on first in first sight you know I was like I have to wait I work with him and he, he did what he, what he what I showed him like he's been doing it for a long time that's when I knew he was going to be a champion you know and, of course, with Habib, if you want to talk about Habib, Habib was already experienced when he came over to me. So, so for him, it was already destined that, that he was going to be a champion. But I'll give you the story about him so you guys get that one. 
When Habib first came to me in 2012, I was through King Mo Lawal, which was one of my my other fighters, who's Muslim himself. He asked me, told me that this one fighter wanted to come over, and that he, uh, you know, he wanted to be with us because of the wrestling. And I said, no problem with you, Mo. Anybody, anybody you want can come. So Habib comes. He didn't understand any English whatsoever, and. Uh, I looked at Habib, and he destroyed everybody in my gym. Everybody sparred, destroyed. And I keep telling him, you know, relax, relax, relax. And, man, he kept going harder and harder. I'm going, damn, if this guy would just learn to listen, I think that he would do fantastic, you know? So I didn't think nothing of it because he goes back home after the fights. Well, he came back about uh, the next camp, right? And he started speaking a little bit of English. And he goes, you know, coach, you know, in broken English, he goes, you know, when, when you say uh, relax, relax, I go, yeah. He goes, I thought you meant go harder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, then, so then I knew about him, but I didn't know about right away. But I go, oh, this guy's going to rule everybody then. So I started telling him about, hey, you're going to be like Muhammad Ali. You know, there's a reason for you. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to tell you something about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was one of the greatest fighters to me of all time, and not because of what he did inside the ring. It's what he did outside, the humanitarian things that he was doing and all these type of things. And I, and I don't know what it is about you, but something about you tells me you're, you're headed in that direction. You know, and, and he says to me, yes, yes, coach, I know. My father tell me the same thing. So there's your, there actually gave me four examples. I talk too much, I know. Thank you, coach. No, that's Thank amazing. you, coach. We appreciate it. Coach, quick question, quick question for you. Um, like, obviously, your gym has this long history of, like, incredible grapplers, but you're talking about, like, that transition from kickboxing into MMA. How do you balance, like, oh, Habib's a great grappler. Let's not spend time focusing on, like, the stand-up side of things. Or, or is the focus, like, you know what? We want to completely round out the game. How... How do you find that balance between, like, a, a specialized fighter and then, like, completing them as a well-rounded martial artist? Well, the best way, and I've been having success with it, is I've been teaching it like you would teach somebody how to play chess. If you want to be a good chess player, you have to learn how to use your pawns correctly. You have to learn how to use your rook, your bishop, your knight, your queen, and your king. If you cannot use all those pieces properly then when you meet a professional chess player, what's the chances of you beating him? They're not as good. They're not as good. So, so I've been using that mentality for years, and that's the one that, that gets everybody to understand what it's really all about. And uh, I get good results as, as a result of pushing that. But I'm always pointing out to somebody, hey, look, I go, you know, you're doing so great over here, but why, why is your rook and your knight been inactive? I go, that, that's a bad move. Because what if you got somebody who knows how to use those pro uh, proper pieces properly then when, where are you at i go you know so i that kind of analogy has really helped me uh with uh teaching and getting these guys to understand it and understand the game planning and the whole bit it, it's really chess sarah do you mind if i do a follow-up real quick uh, please go ahead um did you ever get pushback from your fighters on that coach like do they ever say like coach like I'm going to be able to take this guy down anytime I want. Like, why are we spending? Do you ever get pushback or is there a, a general like mutual respect that, Oh, if coach thinks we should round it out, we should round it out. Uh, no, I do. I do get, I do. I do get pushbacks, but if I don't have an explanation for it, then that's bad on me. But every time I got a pushback, I always had a perfect, perfect 
answer to their question, to their pushback. So it always got taken care of. I always use examples of what they've done or what they haven't done in their pushback. So it's always worked for me because there was always something behind the back of my head. If they push back on me, I know what to say because I can use their own examples against them. And, and uh, that's worked beautifully for me. Good question. Coach, MMA is constantly evolving, constantly changing. Every year there's a new technique or there's a new um, utilization of certain skill sets. So what do you think is something that has become popular but is now overrated? Uh, what has become popular and not overrated? Uh, that's a hard one because uh, most of the things that have become popular, they're still effective, you know? They're just, uh, uh, you know, let's go, let's go on, uh, on takedowns. Uh, takedowns were very popular, very, uh, you know, it was something that you had to do to win the fight, this and that. Now, I wouldn't say they're overrated because they're still, they're still very important. They're probably the number one most important thing to defend the takedown or be able to take someone down. That's still number one. Uh, so I wouldn't call it overrated, but I would say it's the one that, that people are understanding more about. You know what I mean? So uh, you hit me with a hard question because, uh, okay, just for, for uh, your question's sake, the front kick <laughs> that Anderson Silva did with Vitor Belfort and then a few other ones that Steven Seagal claimed that he was the one that taught the masterful kick that, that appeared to be uh, just mystical, you know, only he can teach it. Let's say that one. Coach, I, obviously we're a ways away from it happening in real time. But if MMA was to ever make the Olympics, whether the rule changes happened or whatever it might look like, if they were able to include pro fighters, obviously, you know, that's not happening yet. But if you did include pro fighters, is there a country you think that would dominate over time? Do you think it would level out after a while. How do you think that would look um, it, to see MMA in the Olympics down the road? Uh, I believe you're going to see MMA in the Olympics, and it's going to happen sooner than later. And uh, I think uh, some of the countries that are going to dominate is, is the countries that are really in, immersed in it, you know, like like over here, Russia. Russia with the Dagestan and, and, and the Chechnya and, and all these other countries, caucus countries, you know. I see it with my own eyes. I'm here presently here watching it. And I don't see how, if it comes to the Olympics, that you're not going to see, see a ton of champions coming out of Dagestan, you know, uh, as it is now in the Olympics. If you look at the Olympics and the wrestling and, and all these sports and, uh, and other countries that are coming out, like Uzbekistan, who, who's, who's doing great in the boxing arena and the Olympics, you know, they have the, the first heavyweight, uh, super heavyweight champion from Uzbekistan, which you're going to probably see him become the world champion in no time. And that's because they put in all the energy and the effort into bringing up the sports programs. And uh, over here, you see it in, in Dagestan. That's crazy. Habib's gym has, when I went in there, about 60 pro fighters, and they're all very good. I mean, it's almost like, who do you pick out? Who's what? Who's this? Because they're all so good. So I would say that, that uh, Russia is going to be one of the powerhouses. The USA, of course, is going to be a powerhouse. And then some of the other countries that you see powerhouses now in boxing and whatnot, they're the same countries that you're going to see winning the majority of the Olympic gold medals. So for sure, Russia, 
and for sure the USA and, and I would think China. China's making a big push and also Japan. I, I think those are four big countries that will do really well in, in, in the Olympics and MMA. You know, for people watching who maybe are newer-ish to MMA or they're not as familiar with the complexities of the sport, what's something we should uh, keep an eye out for tomorrow that we could learn from in terms of, like, the fighters that are competing? I know you have a lot of respect for the Diaz brothers, but is there is there someone on the card that we should study or take a look at as they compete tomorrow? The champ, the girl champ. Valentina. She is. Valentina is smooth everywhere. You want to watch a perfect MMA fighter, watch Valentina. She's smooth. She she's good everywhere. She she is like a craftsman to me. She a craftswoman, I guess you could say. She's a she's unbelievable. Unbelievable inside, unbelievable outside. She she works her craft beautifully. How smooth she is with everything she does. If I have to say watch anybody, watch her. Watch her. Be impressed by what she does and what she can do and how she is uh, uh, smooth at everything. It's so technical. And that's why she is, to me, probably could very well be the, the best woman fighter of all time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, the 1.37 p.m. family. Y'all are the best. We always are rocking with you. What an interview. What an opportunity to get to interview Javier Mendez, one of the best coaches in the history of MMA. He was so kind. He was so thoughtful. Gave, gave great stories, great insight, and just happy as a clam that we were able to do that. Um, thanks to DraftKings for the opportunity. That was really, really fun. Thank you guys for listening. More coming. This is In The Fight.